0: Yet not I, but Christ in me. Sermon title this week, this Lord's Day, is I Believe, Help Me, Help My Unbelief. I Believe, Help My Unbelief. Church, raise your hand if you're completely satisfied with your faith. Like your faith is perfect and you cannot grow anymore. Do I see any hands? Are you raising your hand? Oh, okay, I think she's just wiping her hair. <laughs> well, me included, I cannot raise my hand. We all could grow in our faith, amen? For us to sing, yet not I but Christ in me, we believe. But Lord, help my unbelief. As was read by Sister Rhonda Yen out of Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. Faith is absolutely essential for us. And what do we actually believe in? Well, we believe in the gospel, the good news. By faith, we believe that God so loved the world and sent his one and only son. By faith, we believe that the son lived the perfect life, went to the cross, and died for sinners. By faith, we believe that he paid the price so that you and I can be redeemed and forgiven of our sins and go to heaven with him. By faith, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of all. By faith, we believe that he is better than anything else that this world has to offer. By faith. Faith is essential. But the good news says this. Not only does he give us the faith to believe in Christ, Jesus is Lord and Savior, the good news also says this. That God continues to grow our faith until we see the object of our faith face to face someday. Amen. And Adam Mark chapter 9, 14 to 29. So if you have your Bibles, Jesus shows us how he grows our faith while we're on this side of eternity. While Jesus is in heaven right now. And this is critical for us to see this. Because this is the sort of thing that encourages us to keep persevering no matter what's going on in our lives. So as you turn to Mark nine fourteen to 29, a little bit of context. Last week, the Lord Jesus Christ took Peter, James, and John to the Mount Transfiguration. Jesus gives them a preview of heaven and he's transfigured, meaning he's glowing like the sun. And now the four of them March back down the mountain, back to normal life, back to the crowds, back to the struggles of sin, back to the other nine disciples who are confronted by some scribes who are mocking them for their ministry failure. So let's rise as we read Mark nine fourteen to twenty nine. You will be blessed today by the hearing of the word preached out of Mark nine uh, fourteen to twenty nine. And when they came back to the disciples, the nine, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and as they ran up, they were greeting him. And he asked them, what are you arguing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. "I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it." And he answered them and said, "Oh, unbelieving generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me." And they brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately his spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, "How long has this been happening to him?" And it says, from childhood, and has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if he could do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and was saying, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into a a terrible convulsions, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he's dead. And Jesus took him by the hand, raised him up, and he stood up. Verse 28. And when he came into the house, the disciples began questioning privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this portion of scripture. Thank you for this lesson that you taught the disciples, how faith has grown. Father, grow our faith. We believe. Help our unbelief today. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. So this sermon is about how God grows our faith, how God the Father in heaven is growing the faith of his children. And it's not a conventional way. It's not how you would want it, not necessarily how we would design it, yet the Father knows what's best for us and how he grows our faith. So point number one, God grows our faith through sovereign trials. Sovereign trials They were arguing when the four came back down to the nine disciples and Jesus asked, what are you arguing about? Well, the nine were arguing with the scribes. The scribes always had a bone to pick with Jesus and his disciples, right? I mean, what was the issue? Why the nine could not cast out this demon from this boy? Perhaps they're mocking him. See, your master, your teacher isn't the Messiah. If he was, you could do it. Perhaps the disciples are saying, well, maybe we didn't say it quite right. Maybe we didn't hold them correctly. Maybe we didn't do exactly how the Lord told us to do it. Maybe we didn't follow the formula. Well, the Lord says, what are you guys talking about? And this demon here, what's a demon, church? It's a satanic angel. All right? it's, a, it's, a, it's a fallen angel that works under the rule of Satan himself. And who is Satan? He is the god of this world. The Bible says Satan is uh, described as a liar and a murderer. Murderer, there's no truth in him. Satan is like a prowling lion. He's described as looking for people to devour. Satan's evil. Satan is our enemy. Satan wants what's worse for us. He wants to destroy us. And look at it's how he manifests in this boy. This verse seventeen. This boy is mute and deaf. He, he, he's he's isolated by himself. Other people cannot communicate with him. Satan wants to isolate us. Satan wants you to stay at home. Satan wants you to stay apart. Satan wants not to for us to spur each other on to loving good deeds. Satan put him into this condition where this boy would shake, foam at the mouth, fall on the ground, grind his teeth. Many theologians describe this as uh, epileptic seizures. Now, it doesn't mean if you have epilepsy that you have a demon, yet the demon would manifest in this unique way for this boy, like an epileptic seizure. John, Matthew 17 said he had seizures. And then also the demon will try to throw him into the fire or into the water to drown him to death. this is a very clear picture of what this God of this world wants for you. All right? And this is is a good uh, lesson that the disciples are going under here. Because they need to understand, we need to understand, who is behind all of this? Meaning what's happening to this boy and to this poor father? I mean, parents, you know, I mean, it's difficult for the child, but... Perhaps it's even more excruciating for the mom or dad if you, your son or daughter is undergoing a difficult trial. You feel it. This dad comes broken and comes to the Lord himself for help. But who, do, who is behind all of this? Is it Satan? Say yes. I would say yes, partially. Is it the fact that we live in a sinful, fallen world and this is part of life? Yes, Partially. But we as Christians by faith believe that God is sovereign over everything. There are no accidents, there's no whoops in God's language. It's everything has been ordered and ordained, providentially ordered by God from before eternity past. So ultimately God the Father, our Father in heaven has ordained every single trial in our lives, every single one. Every single one. An example of this just to show us kind of how the cosmic world or the heavenly realm works. Job 1 talks about how Satan comes to God and says, and God the father asks him, have you considered my servant Job? And God the father gives him permission, gives Satan permission to do whatever he wants to him, to his family, to his health, to his business. Only thing, don't kill him. See, God restrains the limits of what Satan can do, but he ordains, he calls him to go, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Job loses his children. Job loses his wealth. Job loses his health eventually as he's stricken with disease. Even he gets conflicted with friends, even his own wife. It was Satan. It was a fallen world. There's weather and things like that that take place. At the end of the day, it was God's hand that moved this to happen. Now, why you may be asking, and and we just got done praying and talking about how none of us have perfect fathers. That's true. Some better than others on earth, but we have a perfect heavenly father. And what heavenly father would do this? There's a reason. James 1 says that he does this to develop our faith. All right. Consider all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith brings about perseverance. God allows and ordains these things to happen in life, sovereignly ordains these trials to happen in life to develop our faith. But there's another reason why God the Father ordains these things. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says that these trials reveal our faith. Not only it develops our faith, it reveals who and what we believe in. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says, In this you greatly rejoice. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the proof of your faith may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that God the Father can prove to you, to me, that our faith is real and who our faith is in. And this is exactly what happens here. Back to the story of the father. And he says, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit, which makes him mute, which causes him to go through these seizures and tries to throw him into the fire. Teacher. See, this trial, this sovereignly ordained trial, drives this man to pursue Jesus Christ. This is how this works. Fathers, where do you turn to when your children are depressed? Fathers, I'm talking to you. Where where do you go to when your children are disobedient? Fathers, where do you turn to when there's all kinds of issues of doubt and lack of faith towards God and other things that are near and dear to you? Fathers, how you respond to these trials reveal where your source of confidence is. I mean, really, different trials have different effects on different people. I'm speaking to everybody. I mean, some of us may f- handle physical issues with great faith. You know what? No matter what happens, I'll be fine. But some, some of us may react differently when it comes to our finances. The finances are shaky. Then we all, Some of us may freak out. It's interesting, God knows areas of our faith that need to be tested, like a good father. I mean, think about what's happened recently in your life right now. You don't have to be a dad to think about this. What has happened recently in your life? I mean, we all went through COVID-19. Perhaps some of us were like, this, the vaccine, that is the answer to everything. Obviously, that's not Perhaps some of us responded in great fear during that time. I think it was quite revealing, right? If you think about it for yourself. Perhaps some of you have gone through the cancer diagnosis. Perhaps some of you have been going through some severe health issues. And you've responded in great faith. Lord, you have this. No matter what happens, I trust in you. Financial issues. I mean, our church is under a deficit right now. And my encouragement to the church leaders, to the pastors, executive board, trustees, anyone, is how do we respond? What is the Lord teaching us through these issues as a church? I mean, we may be tempted to use methods or some kind of attractional model to get more people here. That's not going to happen. We need to pray. We need to turn to the Lord. We need to continue to be faithful to what the Lord has called us to do. Focus in on the work of the word. Focus in on Christ. Focus in on discipleship. And just trust that God will provide and pray. I mean, may, what about ministry failures? How, how many of us have undergone ministry failures? I mean, these nine were undergoing a huge ministry failure, they could not cast out this demon. How have we responded? I'm really encouraged because as I get to talk to the church family, I get to hear different lives and different stories of what's going on. And I, I don't need to get into the details, but there are a handful of people, more than one, who have had incredible opportunities for career growth, financial growth. I mean, wow. Yet convictions before the Lord to honor the Lord has moved them to say no. I think that's incredible, that's encouraging because when the rubber meets the road, you find out who or what you believe in. It's amazing, I love hearing stuff like that. That just fills my heart with joy because I know that's the work of the word, that's the work of the Lord in your life. Just know that church, fam- uh, church family, you got brothers and sisters are wrestling with all these type of things. So as you dad are out there trying to raise your little one, just know this, How you respond to trials reveals the source of your true confidence. It's amazing. We all want a platform. We talk about this platform, this many followers. Forget all that. Trials give you a platform higher than the Empire State Building where everyone who knows you, everyone that cares about you, are watching. How is he, she going to respond to this? Fathers, lead well, my brothers. This is not easy. This is not easy. It's harder. It's harder than most would understand. Spiritual fathers lead well. This is a difficult task. Satan has his crosshairs on us. I mean, this is how this works. But be faithful. As a source of encouragement, understand how you respond to these trials will communicate incredible leadership, incredible conviction to those who are watching you. This is important. Wives, I would say encourage your men. Encourage your men. When you see faithfulness, like say, great job. It may not be perfect faithfulness, but it's movement in the right direction. Encourage them. Make them feel like the man that has been called to care for your family. Make them feel like there's no one else on this planet that can do this, but this man sitting before you at the kitchen table eating his cereal. I mean, this is the real things now. Wives, you can build them up. You could pour get spiritual gasoline into his fire and ignite him to be faithful because not for you only, but to the Lord. That's how this works. It's how we compliment one another. And wives, if he's not quite there, be patient and pray for him. Be patient, pray for him, that he would see Christ as better than life itself. Children, youth here, pray for your dads. Pray for your dads. It's more than than you even understand what's going on in the mind and hearts of your dads. Pray for them. Encourage them when they make right choices for the Lord. Right? Let's go on to the next portion here. God grows our faith through sincere humility. Sincere humility. This is a task of a coach or even as a dad. You never want your players nor your children to think that they've arrived. Like, okay, I'm set now. I'm as good as I'm going to be. I'm God's gift to football. I'm God's gift to this planet. You never want your children or your players to feel like they've arrived. My friend says this, and I like how he says it. He says, if you're green, you're grown. If you're ripe, you're going to get rotten, right? That that's, makes sense to me. We're all We're all ripe. We're all uh, on the edge of gaining more faith, right? This is how this works. This is the Christian life. In verse 19 right here, and how does Jesus Christ respond? And he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. See, Jesus puts on his omniscient eyes and looks into the hearts of the disciples, into the hearts of the crowd, into, even into the hearts of his dad, into the hearts of the scribes. And said, the issue is this. You're arguing about the wrong stuff, guys. It's faith. You're unbelieving. You, don't, you need to understand that you're talking about the wrong things. And dad brings him there and... And immediately the spirit, this evil spirit, throws him into this episode. And this is so amazing. We cannot miss this portion here. Look at how much Jesus Christ loves us. Look how much Jesus Christ loves his dad, loves this little boy. Dr. Jesus his bedside manners unparalleled. I mean, he is the healer of souls. Not only does he want to fix you and me, not only does he want to heal this boy, he wants to hear his story. He didn't ask him, how long has this been happening? Because he didn't know. The Lord knows everything. Yet, he takes time to talk to this father who's no doubt been hurting. And really, you can see the great side, the compassionate side of our Lord as he talks about Ask takes time to ask them, how long has this been happening? I mean, this is an emblem of how the Lord cares about what's going on with your children. He absolutely cares. The Lord absolutely cares about your, care, your concerns, what's going on, what's, uh, what, what you, what's making you joyful, what's making you sorrowful. The Lord cares. We're not just going to some professional to fix us and that's it. Send you the bill. This is a real doctor, a doctor of the soul where, you know, you've been around doctors who have great bedside manners, who want to care for your physical issue, but somehow they express a love and concern for you beyond. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Verse 21, he goes on say, he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. Verse 22, and has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Dad had a chance to say, I've had to fish him out of the river. I've had to jump into the well and get him out of there as, as he was floating to the bottom. I've had to pull him off the fire pit. I've had to mend his wounds as he was gashed and bleeding everywhere. I have not been able to rest. I have to keep my eyes on him constantly. I mean, this father was able to share all this to Dr. Jesus. And the Lord is just saying, okay, I understand. And then the Lord allows him to say the statement, but if you can do anything, at of verse 22, the Father asks, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus diagnoses the problem. It's not the demon he's trying to tell him. He says, if you can... If you can, this is a rhetorical question. It's a statement. It's a, if you can, the Lord is saying, I'm not the issue. I could pull this off. <laughs> I control Satan. Satan is my devil. <laughs> I said, That's not the issue, Father. I could do this. There's a big difference between if you can versus if you're willing, right? He didn't say if you're willing, if you can. Mark 1, the leper says, if you're willing. There's a big difference. But look how compassionate the Lord is. Jesus does have pity. He shows incredible pity, con- incredible compassion toward this man and addresses his issue and says, faith is your problem. And he goes on to say, out of verse 23, all things are possible to him who believes. All things are possible to him who believes. Now as I read this, I got to take a little time out here. I'll, I can't help but to be drawn back into my days at coaching in the NFL. There was this prevalent idea. I mean, new age thinking is big in, in that type of environment, and what I've in that environment uh, and other high performing environments. And there's there's this even as I sat through graduations at public schools. There's this whole new age idea that's being pumped out there everywhere. And this whole idea that, you know, if you positive think enough, if you believe it enough, if you just say it out, somehow the powers of the universe will make it happen. I mean, there's, there's this crazy idea. It's like Star Wars in some ways, right? The force, you could draw, attract the powers of the force. People believe this. Isn't that crazy? Just believe and it, it will happen. Well, if you think it's crazy out there, I've seen this type of thinking in the church as well. I mean, you know it, the name it and claim it theology. You know, if you believe enough, you know, the prosperity gospel. That that type of thinking is out there. As if if I believe enough, as if if up to the person, I could make my wildest dreams come true. I could hold God hostage to do whatever I want. I mean, even hyper charismatic ministries are emphasizing these sort of things. As if believe, name and claim it's going to happen. Well, we've all prayed for people who have been ill, We've all prayed for these situations, and sadly, people that we've prayed with great earnest have eventually died. We know that's not true. 2 Corinthians 12, there's a picture of this. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-9, Paul, the apostle, he sees heaven. He goes up to heaven, and as he comes, he sees a vision of heaven, and it says that a demon, a messenger of Satan, has been given to him as a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. God ordains a demon to, to keep Paul humble. And he said, the Bible says, he, Paul says he prayed three times earnestly, please take this away. The, the Lord says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. You need this. You need this. I mean, it's not about our faith necessarily now. It goes back to, do we believe in God? Do we have enough faith in God and who he is? So how do we properly understand, going back to this portion here, at verse 23, all things are possible to him who believes. How do we properly understand this as Christians? Well, first of all, Jesus means what he says. At the end of the day, he is sovereign. He could do all things. We need to understand that and believe that. Jesus can do all things. But faith is about the object of our faith. What what am I talking about? We need to know Jesus Christ so well that we know what he's capable of. That's everything and anything he wants to do. But also we need to know him so well that we can embrace his heart so that we're actually praying and and believing in the things that he wants. He is Lord after all. Remember Peter said, no way you're going to die Jesus. Do you remember that? Uh-oh, he was wrong. He earnestly believed that was the better way, but the Lord had a better way. So do we know the Lord? Faith is about knowing him. It's, it's about he is the object of our faith. Do we know him so well that what he could do, what his character is all about, and we embrace his heart? When Psalms 37 four says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. How do we understand that? That means if we love Christ, we know Christ so much, his desires will be ours, and we'll be praying and believing into these things. It's about knowing the one that we're called to believe in. He'll never go beyond the limits of his word. Right? The Lord, we understand that. We understand that. And in verse 24, look how this man responds. This is incredible I'm so grateful for that the Lord puts us in here in Mark 9, 24. Immediately, the boy, boy's father cried out and was saying, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I do believe. It. My belief is sincere, is genuine. I believe enough to, to come to you, Lord Jesus. I mean, think about it. In the Jewish culture, clean and unclean is a big deal. There's nothing more unclean than a demon. Yet he goes out there to the crowd and just puts it all out there. Jesus, my son, is demon-possessed. If you want to lose friends real quickly, if you want to lose business, that's what you do in the Jewish culture. My son is demon-possessed. That shows great faith. He has genuine faith. But he goes on to say, help my unbelief. In other words, Jesus, I believe, but no one's been able to help my son. Your nine disciples couldn't help my son. I, if you can, I'm not even quite sure. I'm being honest with you, Lord Jesus. No one has been able to fix him. If you can. Well, the Lord honors this really sincere je- uh, approach by this father. In, in verse 25 to 27, he heals this boy and casts his demon out. To show that he's Lord. And, and, and it was such a traumatic experience for this boy that he's left on the ground, undoubtedly injured from all of those falls and all of those episodes that he's had. And look at the compassion of the Lord, verse 27. But the Lord took him by the hand and raised him up and stood him up. <laughs> That's the Lord. That's how he does it. And the Lord grows his, the father's belief. Because he had sincere humility. He was able to acknowledge the truth of, I do believe, but I need some more help. Isn't that encouraging? I just think about this for our church and for myself, what the Lord actually requires. If you're thinking like, oh man, my faith has to be so perfect. You don't have to be thinking that anymore. Obviously, right here, it's not perfect faith. It's genuine faith. It's sincere faith in him. You're a genuine believer, but no Christian has perfect faith. I mean, where are we weak in faith? I believe, but maybe you're saying this faith only applies to the afterlife. It it only talks about getting me into heaven with you, Lord. But I'm not quite sure you actually care what's going on right now in the meantime. I mean, this little window of time I have on earth. Maybe you're saying, I have faith and, and believe That your forgiveness is for certain sins, not all sins. Lord Jesus, you don't know what I did. You don't know my sexual past. You don't know the things I think about. I can't tell anyone about this. Therefore, guilt just keeps you in bondage like a demon would, keeps you inactive, keeps you away from fellowship, keeps you isolated, keeps you rigid and stiff. Keeps you away from being served, serving one another and be used by the Lord in a mighty way. Guilt, guilt. See, sincere humility helps, opens the channels for the, for the shoots of heaven to pour more faith into our hearts. It's, it's like saying, I have an open door. Yes, I need more. I need more deposited into my account. So go to him in prayer. If your prayer is I believe, help my unbelief, go to him in prayer. Pray that prayer Sincerely. Get into the word and be saturated by God's word and his promises for you. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't require perfect faith, but sincere faith, genuine faith. I believe, help my unbelief. Now let's go to our final point here. God grows our faith through sovereign trials, number one. God grows our faith through sincere humility. And finally, God grows our faith through supplications, through prayer. Supplications. In verse 28, the scene shifts here. And they leave the crowd, they leave the boy, they leave the dad, they leave the scribes. And when they came into the house, not sure what house, but a house, private, privacy is the issue here. His disciples, his nine, began questioning him privately, why could we not cast it out? The nine asked, did we not use the right technique? Did we not say say it correctly? Did we not lay our hands on him exactly the way we were supposed to? I mean, they must have been asking him those sort of questions. But the Lord diagnoses their problem, too. In Matthew 17, goes, You have little faith. This whole portion is about faith, is it not? Whether it's the dad, whether it's the, the, the nine disciples. In verse 29, he goes on to say, This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. But prayer. See, why is this portion so important? We see it lived out earlier with this crowd and this boy and this father, but now the Lord closes the door and gives him a private tutorial here. He explains what happened. See, basically, Jesus was giving a preview to the nine. What do I mean by that? Because Jesus, Peter, James, John went up to the mountaintop and ascended to the mountaintop. Jesus giving the nine a preview of what will be like without Jesus standing next to them throughout the rest of their ministries after Jesus ascends back into heaven. Jesus was showing them that they can't just turn to him as he's in the flesh and say, Jesus, please do that. Now they have to do it. It requires a different type of faith in some ways where Jesus Christ is sitting next to us in the flesh is one thing. Someday we'll see him eye to eye. That's a, our faith will be perfected at that point. But right now, in the meantime, he's ascended to heaven. We're like the nine right now, church. We can't see Jesus face to face. But we know he's there. I mean, this is a supernatural life that God calls us to live. And he shows us how to live it out through prayer, through prayer. Charles Spurgeon is one of my uh, preaching models that I've uh, been studying. He's called the Prince of Preachers. Next to Jesus Christ, some would say, and next to the Apostle Paul, perhaps he is the greatest preacher to ever walk the earth, arguably, obviously. I mean, this man was gifted. He, had a, he took over a pastor at, I think, 19 years old and one of the most historic churches in England, London. And he had a photographic memory. He was a uniquely gifted man. But he would give an account in his, in his autobiography and other places where as he's walking up the pulpit, he's praying to himself, I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Ghost before he opens his mouth to preach anything. Because he believed that this was a supernatural thing that's taking place right now. You Thus saith the Lord needs to come out with the supernatural power. Michael Reeves writes about Spurgeon in his biography and says, he writes about Spurgeon, because of what prayer is, no amount of talent or education Wonderful gifts through they may be to the church can substitute for it prayer. All our libraries and studies are mere emptiness compared with our closets. That's what Spurgeon said. Meaning all the gifts and talents don't mean anything. They don't work unless bathed with prayer, bathed with the power of God from heaven above. The gifted and experienced man may be more tempted to neglect prayer. If you're a gifted person, You may be tempted to bypass that and just get get on with it. If you're experienced and you've experienced some ministry success and other things, that's a temptation for you to say, you know what, I got this. I got this. And perhaps this is what happened to the nine. We don't know for sure, but perhaps I think this is what happened to the nine. They fell into this, I got this trap here. And they relied upon their giftedness. I mean, keep God, Jesus gifted them to serve as apostles, to teach, to preach, to cast out demons. He, they, I have the gift to do this. They, in Mark 6, they cast out demons. So they may be thinking, I've got this. We've done this before. This is easy. This is routine. This is just a layup. Maybe their titles that made them feel uh, like they had the authority. were the disciples of Jesus Christ. That's pretty good. That's an amazing title. Maybe it was their training, their technique, their formula. You know, I mean, parents—I can't help but think about it. Parents, have you been following a certain formula on how to raise your children? How to uh, what the scriptures have to say about how to raise your children? Praise God! But that's not where the power is at. Amen. Prayer, prayer. See, Spurgeon understood that men prepare sermons, but God prepares the man. God may, man, you have to, men and women, you have to prepare your ministries, you have to plan, you have to organize, you have to call people, you have to do your spreadsheets, all that stuff. But God prepares you, brother and sister, to do the work. It starts right here. And what is prayer ultimately about? It's reliance upon God for everything. Your private life prepares you for your public life. Ministry is very public. Preaching right now is very public. But what happened with every step that led for me to be on this pulpit? All the private stuff. The studying, the praying, the meditating on the word. Asking for others to pray. Pastors praying. Executive board team praying for the sermon and the message. Prayer grows our faith. Spurgeon will go on to say, you cannot flourish as a Christian unless you constantly draw near to God in supplication or prayer. But your supplications must always be presented through the name of Jesus Christ. For Spurgeon, the battleground, prayer was the battleground where faith and natural unbelief conflicted and warred. This is where faith battles and beats up the, unnatural, the natural unbelief that we all have. Prayer is way, way, the way we recognize God's infinite ability. Prayer Prayer is the way that our is the outpouring of our hearts as we want to draw near to him. Prayer. Isn't that amazing? Prayer in another in another words, friends and churchmen, is that it's your faith lived out. What you actually believe in or who you believe in is you're spending your mind time on. And I want to explain. Like you, it says, sometimes prayer could be a little bit confusing. What does that mean? Ephesians six, first Thessalonians five says, "Pray without ceasing." And, and I kind of want, as a pastor, I want to give you a picture of what prayer looks like. Okay, today you saw many examples of formal corporate prayers, where the leaders, whether it's a, 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 our music leader Kevin or Pastor Mako or pulpit chair, uh, praying and, and praying corporately. That's one. Form and they're praying through the scriptures, praying through the truth of God. Another type of prayers are formal prayer lives privately where you sit down at your coffee table and you're praying for your children, you're praying, you stop everything and you're just praying. You're not even reading the Bible yet. You're just praying, Lord. You're praying, you're interceding, you're thanking God for so many blessings. You're praising and thanking God for Christ, His Son, eternity with them. But I would say this final third type of prayer is a prayer that's most prevalent in all our lives. When the Bible says pray without ceasing, undoubtedly none of us are praying 24 hours a day and stopping everything, right? That's that's not the point. Pray without ceasing is informal private prayers as well. Where I'm preaching and back in my head I'm praying, I hope this is helping people. I hope this is encouraging people. As you're playing, even your sport or your school, in the back of your mind, God is circulating through your thoughts somehow. When you're confronted with issues, your first instinct is, Lord, help me. Spirit, give me the right words. Help me to understand this. Give me patience because it's about to blow up right now. That is the prayer life. Pray without ceasing. And guess what, church? That's not you or me. That's the work of the Spirit in our lives. So if that happens to you, Be grateful and thank the Lord for that. But if it's not, let's pray as the dad did. I believe, help my unbelief. Ignite my prayer life before you, Lord. See, when you pray, two things are going to happen. The results, now let's talk about the results. We do care about the results. Two things are going to happen when we pray. Number one, he will either remedy the situation, he'll heal this boy of the demon. He'll fix your career. He'll fix your marriage. He he will uh, get you a a job to pay for your bills. He will uh, help you. He'll get you into the college that you've been praying for. Okay, that could happen. And praise God, he does that a lot graciously and lovingly. Or just like Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, he'll provide the grace to endure it. Mm -hmm. That's where faith is lived out, where God... Your will, not my will, be done. I trust you. But please take this away, right? I mean, it's okay to pray for these things. It's great to pray for healing. It's great for waywardness to be corrected. All that is good. Yet not my will, your will be done. Please give me the grace to, endure, to handle whatever decision you, you render. See, this lesson was absolutely necessary for the 12 disciples. This is critical for us now. The 12 disciples saw Jesus in the flesh for three years. For us who have never seen Jesus in the flesh, but we see him in the living word of God, we need to understand this is how this works. Faith is necessary for us. So let's pray, church. Let's pray this together. I believe, help my unbelief. Let's pray, church. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that you have given us access to you through Christ and the spirit to come to you. Exclusive access in prayer where only beloved children get to come to you like this. Thank you that we're beloved. Thank you that we could draw near to you, Father, with great confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help help in time of our need. Thank you for this promise. Father, thank you for loving us. Lord, I pray this for myself and for the church family, Evergreen Baptist Church of St. Gabriel Valley. Help us with our unbelief. We believe, but help us with our unbelief. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.